0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Exit Point. Today, we've got Vincent Descholes on, also known as Leblanc. He's one of the foremost pioneers of wingsuit terrain flying, and we want to ask him about his process, his progression, and also some uh, tips and tricks. Not only that, we want to get into some of the crazy ideas that he's uh, been developing, like uh, tandem wingsuiting. So without further ado, let's get Vincent on the track.
1: So, Leblanc, welcome. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thanks for welcoming me. How are you doing, buddy? Very good, thanks. i uh
2: into uh, many enthusiasm projects and, uh, and making the best of the winter to prepare the season. So, uh, I'm working with my wife on very, very cool projects.
1: Yeah, we're going to get into that in a little bit. I think what would be great is if we kind of start back in like 2012, because this is the first time that I was exposed to, to you and to some of the videos you were putting out. And, uh, I threw a lot of accolades your way in the intro. Um, but you were really one of the first guys that I ever saw that was connected to the terrain the entire time, the entire flight, until it was time to pull away and 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 pull your parachute out, um, <laughs> and and on top of that, uh, you and the Veracor base team were super active as far as opening and pioneering low cliff wingsuit base jumping. So we think it'd be super valuable to sort of go back into that era and, and bring up a little bit of history. So um, so yeah, uh,
2: yeah, with pleasure, with pleasure, uh, yeah. So. In 2012, that was a time where we were the most um, current, the most trained. We uh, we were not expecting doing what you described as a long and long term flying, long proximity flying. Um, we didn't think it would be possible at the time, but um, we had um, like a little um, perspective on what we could do better. In the in the activity, what was the standard at the time and how how um, people were practicing how our mentors were practicing at the time and um, we, I, I, I was lucky enough to be in the Vercor team as you said and we were four friends um, non-professional, but we had this connection and this teamwork. Uh, in in the same time individual strength so that was that was really really valuable because a team with too much um, evenness is not the best potential. We had our own characteristics and um they were um complementary so this complementarity brought us to to really explore um the best of ourselves and of our team. So basically, some were more in the precision flying, like we described in, in, in start flying with the terrain, some were more with a statistic and studying GPS, um, some were more daring in, in jumping lower and lower cliff, and then we connected all these characteristics and it ended up in, in opening the Brevant in Chamonix and then aiguille du midi um, these were the cherry on the cake but this cake we we worked on the recipe for more than a year that was a little bit more silent because it was not as glorious as, <laughs> as Brevon or aiguille du midi but uh but there was a lot of of uh, background work uh, a lot of preparation and and uh and
1: before these openings and um and yes, let's, that. Let's pause for a second and break some of that down for the audience. So, Vercors is um, a region, it's like a, a mountainous area in, in the northern Alps, and it's just outside of the Grenoble area. So, lots of really nice cliffs there, beautiful for jumping. Yes. And, uh, that's that's. The name. yes that was
2: our pre- playground basically it was it, it's low mountains uh it's just like pre-alps so we could jump there in winter time uh when even if when when it was cloudy and windy in high altitude so at the time we were like completely completely maniac with base jumping we were base jumping every every day almost before work after work like it it's <laughs> that that became our lives and and the Vercor this massive this mountain massive allowed us a lot of training a lot of tests and and uh, we could work for example uh, with the same wind and air conditions to tra- to test different position in in the air. And not on not uh, in skydive where there are where there are always uh, altitude winds and hard, and it's it's hard to have benchmarks and everything. There we in these valleys of Vercors, we could do the same lines and the same jumps over and over again, and and, and improving our our starts, our position, our positions, our thinking, and our way of um, jumping because it. It was not just about the the pure techniques. It was as well of how we mentally, how we um, uh, prepare for this, how we um, uh, visualize the jump, how we get prepared for this, and uh, that was a big part as well. And and feeling comfortable and at home for this kind of training was very well for preparing more uh, exotic <laughs> jumps, if I mm-hmm. can uh, if I can say
1: it that way. We didn't have FlySight back then. Um, we didn't have um, these uh, modern laser range finders, but you were using GPS and you were using uh, laser range finders. Tell us a little bit about the gear that you were using.
2: Yeah. So uh, uh, exactly, it was the, the equipment were uh, a little bit uh, more uh, <laughs> not prehistoric, but yeah, the GPS we used was uh, definitely not made for flying. Was a WBT, I guess, the brand, and a friend of mine was a friend of our team. Um, was an um, uh, engineer in a, in a electronics, and he made us a very nice Excel uh, sheet where we could plug the GPS and study all our start arcs. And basically, we we put all of our start arcs in wingsuits. Uh, on the top of each other and like hundreds of them and that was amazing because then we started to realize that no matter what the conditions were uh we were having way better starts than we imagined and that the our mentors and the old more i mean little older base jumpers thought so when we told them, eh, we're gonna we're gonna maybe jump from uh, saint uh, in Grenoble, and I know Laurent that you're familiar with this one because you you slider down this one uh, quite a
1: quite a few times, and um, and yeah man, 2000- I could see it from where I was staying at the time. So yeah, we went. And- that's a yeah, really nice and that cliff
2: looks—that cliff looks so low from the yeah. from the bottom of the valley. It looks like really just a just a little step down, and um, and when we asked like all the locals, like, yeah, do you think we can wingsuit that cliff? They were just laughing at us, like, guys, it's uh, it's completely impossible. It's like ninety meters. So uh, we went up there, we lasered it with a a laser made. It was much heavier than the the one we use now. It was like twice heavier. And we lasered it and found about 140. And it was very impressive uh, because we could see like the squirrels jumping out of the trees. (laughs) And... um, and at the time, the squirrel run did not even exist. So <laughs> I, I was talking of real animals jumping from trees to trees. And, uh, and we said, OK, let's trust our hundreds of GPS tracks and let's let's trust our our laser and I I can definitely remember my my buddy who jumped it first because it was his ID um, Jean phil Gaddy he was president of the French uh, uh, French base association at the time and uh and his countdown was like okay three two one do as usual and he he exited that was his visualization like like Please get rid of the stress. Do as you as you know. Do like you used to do because you've done it hundreds of times, and there is no reason that it changes. And and that was it. And then from the time we opened this very very impressive jump, it opened it opened up the door of everything. We opened the Briveon uh, right after, and the Aiguille du Midi two weeks later, because then it was like okay, we've done what sounded impossible at the time so yes yes we used we, we used a little bit older tools but with a good uh,
1: engineering method you guys trained and trained and trained and then all of a sudden like the floodgates just opened up and it was like an open season on all the little cliffs all over the northern alps you guys um hey matt um i don't know if you're can remember when you first heard it, but these guys were the ones that first introduced me to describing the technicality of a wingsuit exit point by using numbers. Um, do you remember when that came across your radar? Yeah, that was uh, 2013 for me.
0: Uh, and before that, everyone was just talking about, you know, the, the end the point to impact. And then uh, all of a sudden, like that wasn't the only number. Now there
1: were numbers, to uh, consider. Right. Actual numbers that comprise a start arc, an arc that we could use to really describe what it is we're doing. Yeah, that was so reassuring for us. And I think everybody here in this conversation would highly recommend if you're an active wingsuit jumper or looking into getting into it, um, start thinking in the, that manner. Start thinking in an arc rather than rock drop. That's a thing of the past. Any thoughts on that you'd like to share?
2: Yeah, the the it was so reassuring for us. Uh, the the rock drop, no matter how precise, you accurate, you try to be with your watch, and no matter how many many your, uh, your you are, you down it. You do the countdown, you measuring it. It's it's still very inaccurate. So for for. Dolomites jump with the with a fourteen seconds rock drop. That's not a problem. But then, when we reached the limit of this system, it was it was scary. It was more. Uh, it, it was very daring and kind of um, kind of unconscious, actually. I, I I must say. And we all did that. It, we we all started with some unconsciousness in that activity. So that's that's not a problem. It's not a judgment. But then we we reached the point where we were um definitely not, definitely not in that state of mind we were all uh, having wives being wives uh friends being happy having jobs we were not professionals and um and yeah it, 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 we we took the time of talking about that uh i mentioned the the teamwork and for for me that's that's a key point when that what every jumper should think about as well is who are you are you surrounded by it's uh people are always filled with good intentions i do not doubt of that but uh, uh we can easily push each other into doing something that maybe we do not want to do at, initially and uh, our our team's strengths was that we were it, we played the opposite like we sometimes we entered some fights like uh, no you cannot do that it's too hard and you're stupid and you are going too fast and and yes yes we we ended up fighting a little bit and and being mad and or sad at each other because we were fr- we were friends but in the end and the day after after a good night of sleep and thinking about it yeah it, it made us stronger safer and that's that's where that's how that's why we wanted to use um, better tools, and uh, and now it's 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 open to everyone, and everyone uses
0: it. So we're very happy with that. Speaking of teamwork, uh, how did you guys find each other? How did this team come to be?
2: Mm, luck, probably. <laughs> um, I guess. Um, I guess we we find the the complementarity um, of each other quite quickly. Uh, um, definitely, some have more um, motivation to go th- somewhere, but some have more um, calm to study the weather and prepare the jump. and 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 I think. Um, yeah definitely it was luck but then it was definitely the wheel of uh, we found in each other this complementarity that we we look probably in in a in a couple as well and uh, and in in human connections in uh, i mean i don't know if i could live with myself <laughs> but for sure uh but for sure i can live with people that that makes me a a, a better uh, better human and uh, and that allow my best potential to, um, to express. So we had no particular um, uh, goal in common. We, we, did not, uh, we didn't want to be a, a professional. I had no idea that, that I would end up uh, doing what I do today. And, uh, but uh, it was like, yeah, good human connection like we all have felt in our life.
0: Interesting. Uh, I like uh, a lot of these points that you're bringing up about uh, how one progresses sustainably in the sport, you know, finding teammates who will push each other to excel, uh, approaching the jumps from a scientific perspective. And one other point that I think just got like kind of glossed over real quick, but, you know, you guys did hundreds of iterations, not just a couple to say like, oh, we've got this in the bag, like we did it a couple times, but hundreds. Uh, so it sounds like the progression that you guys took was uh, pretty, um, you know, pretty leading edge at the time. Uh, my question is, is there anything that you would have done differently? You know, looking back on that progression, which was excellent, is there a way that it could have been more excellent? I, mm,
2: very good question. I, if I, if I look at it right now with my, uh, with with this, uh, with the eyes of a of a, a 38 old guy uh, I, I would say that with the with with the, um, the age and the consciousness we had of our sport and the equipment and the the background of the sport um, we it was hard to do better. I mean when I start when I started base jumping um, I watched all the videos of on YouTube, all the base jumping videos on YouTube all of them it took me an afternoon with my friend because there was nothing there was no education there was no school there was there was nothing the equipment was less reliable than today and uh, and and yes there so yeah how what choice do we had at the time so um, I think yeah we did mistakes of course but um, I'd say that we we were disciplined, disciplined in our progression. And uh, just as, as an example, when we uh, when we opened uh, when we opened up the Aiguille du Midi two weeks after Brayron, um we found ourselves at the at the exit uh, at the top of the Aiguille. It was on Wednesday, and we had not seen each other for about uh, a week because we all had work and everything. And uh, and um, we asked ourselves the questions, uh, each other the question uh, Yeah, like, do you, do you have, did you crack up? D- did you jump these late days? Because we, we had jumped so many times in the late weeks before with the brevant and everything that we were already, already ready. There was no need for extra jumping. But still, we asked ourselves the question, did you, did you crack up? And my, my buddy told me, yes, yes. I went to Vercors and I did two jumps on sunday i i could not help it i needed to be sure i was ready and he looked at me and, and asked me and you and i said yes i'm i cracked up as well and i went to my uh, my home jump and did two jumps on on monday knowing that we were about to to jump from aiguille du midi so yeah we, we despite the fact that we were we were overtrained at the time still we had the i i I dare to believe that we had the the humility and the humbleness to keep training keep jumping keep uh, I mean no complacency and I guess that's why um, that's why we 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 were lucky enough to to have no fatality in our team uh, and not even many not even many close calls actually so I guess we we were quite conservative in our way of of jumping even if we jumped low cliff and we explored some some fields i guess we were pretty conservative actually
0: man that's got to be very satisfying to know that you've done everything in your power to prepare yourself for a jump like that does that uh, help your emotional state when you're standing on the exit point you know looking back and, and thinking like well we we did everything that we possibly could
2: yeah yeah i completely agree with that it's a uh, the 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 emotional state at the exit point is so it's is so loaded and so heavy that everything you can discharge and everything that can be a little bit uh, lighter uh, is is a powerful tool when you have to to find resources and and fly at your best and and keep uh, and keep some resources for everything and be aware and conscious of what's happening so yes yes I completely agree It's the same with the equipment knowing that you've done the best packing you could and you've done the best everything you could and that you've you warmed up. And we always warmed up as well a lot. I mean, when we, again, I, I take these jumps as example because um, Brevant and Aiguille du Midi, we warmed up so much at exit point before jumping. The 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 safety, the security crew, that uh, staff uh, that helped us um, jump there and... some fences for the the public and everything Um, they were surprised that we spent so much time preparing before the jump they were they thought we would just put a, a parachute on our shoulders and jumps like in the movies and and we spent an hour just warming up and visualizing visualizing our procedures again and again and repeating the the muscle memory and everything and and yes, then when you're standing, as you said, Matt, when you, when you stand at the exit point, then you know that whew, you've done everything you could and a few breaths and that helps, that helps you be, yeah, definitely a light-minded uh,
1: state. You know, going back to the teamwork side of things, um, and this has been a commonality among some of our uh, other guests too, is uh, did you guys reel each other back in sometimes like uh, when you saw one person maybe going a little bit uh, out of their realm uh, was there was there some controlling amongst yourselves you mean uh, if I understand the question well if
2: were um, did uh, did another teammate told us about uh, our craziness or our uh, that's what you mean?
1: Yeah. Like for example, did my lever tap you on the shoulder and be like, Hey, uh, Leblanc, maybe you're going a little bit too hard here or like, Hey, you haven't slept tonight or Hey, we've been partying all night. Maybe you should just take it easy. You know, did, did you guys rely on each other as a, as a witness to, to your own abilities?
0: And if so, how did those conversations go? How was the approach?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a very, very interesting point. It's, um, I think again, that's what, maybe saved us from uh, from disaster because um when sometimes you're so proud of of your jump you'd show a video to your friends and to your teammates and you're like, wow look at this line and actually they just look at you and like that's bullshit. And like like what what? That's the closest human human have ever been to the to the ground. And I'm like, yeah, but that's that's stupid. You're too close and you you're not fast enough and and then you don't that's stupid and uh, so yeah we felt of course at that moment you felt disappointed i've i have felt it sometimes disappointed like i was expecting more uh, i don't know you know we're looking for uh, for some rewarding from the others from your friends you you that's 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 human huh? and um, and yeah sometimes it even ended up in 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 fighting because again when you feel disappointment and you don't understand why and the others are scared for you and everyone raised in emotional states and then it's hard to have a normal conversation so yes we uh, we ended up sometimes in 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 friends fight but quite heavy i i must I'm a, i remember one one hike when we almost did not did not jump my friend said yeah i i did not come here to hike and and f- and and be blamed all the walk for what I what I'm doing, he was really really disappointing. And this guy, this guy was is is Vincent Cote. He's now one of the best flyer in the world. He's a superstar athlete, athlete. and I remember when he started wingsuit. Um, we had this conversation, and and it was it was heavy for him. It was it was hard really, and it, it's hard for us as well to. To speak like this to a friend but when two weeks later his jumping buddy killed him ha- killed himself then Vincent kote Vush realized that yeah maybe they were they were right two weeks before they 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 told me all this stuff and now it makes sense because my body my buddy is dead and um, and this this kind of situation this scenario actually happened more than once and um and we were very very happy and glad to have take this, leap, uh, this uh, sleep uh, this sleep this sleep sorry of um of anger i, I can say I-, I could say like yeah we were ang- we were angry at our friends for taking too much risks and we dare uh express it to them and uh and that was worth it uh, that was definitely worth it worth it so uh, sometimes it's like when you're fishing sometimes it it's it doesn't work but if uh, if for 10 times you launch your bait only one fish is uh, is on the hook and if you can save one one friends uh one friend of, out of 10 then that's that's already good so we choose deliberately To not hold our tongues and we speak really, we we choose to speak really openly to each other. And yes, as you said, it doesn't, it does, it's not always comfortable, it's not always pleasant. But um, that's the only way to move forward if we only congratulate each other and say it's good. And yeah, so um, I would say that, um, I mean, seeing the, seeing the positive does not prevent from looking at the dark side and uh, and exploring it and and speaking about it
0: wow yeah that's a it's an interesting concept in our modern society support looks very different than it does in the base jumping world everyone just wants the high fives and the hugs and everything and in the base jumping world sometimes support means reality checking your friend and cutting through their ego and telling them that what they were doing was not appropriate. Yeah.
2: Now it's hard because in these, in these moments we are, we feel, I mean, it's, it's an explosion of joy, of happiness. We, we, it's, it's so much emotion going on and positive emotions. And it's, it's always hard to, to be the you know to be the, the the like the the bad cop or to play the the bad guy that's saying oh, yeah you shouldn't do that and blah 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 and blah, blah blah but yes it's it's um i would say that it's if it's if the words are um the good ones if they are appropriate and wise and say with a kindness if it's not if it's not um, tainted with a jealousy or anything else if it's if it's fair um, then it might not it might not um, um, how could i say it might not uh, attach in the brain immediately but it's like seeds it's you plant seeds and maybe it will just sprout and two weeks later maybe a month later we had this conversation again as well just another example because i i, I think for our listeners and jumpers it, it's very important to to understand that it's always good to express your feelings towards someone who you think should not do something or so, do something inappropriate we we had this conversation in dolomites so we were having a friends a friends road trip and we get into such a fight with a friend who was doing inappropriate Jumping out of his comfort zone, that we left the Dolomites. So that's a heavy move when you're with friends, and we we to the two of us we we left the Dolomites, saying that he was doing too heavy stuff. And two days later, after we left, he he had a uh, a cliff strike under uh, at opening because they jumped from the wrong exit point, and doing bullshit and stuff, aerobatics in the air aerials. And he he got a cliff strike and just ended up with a broken leg. But again, the seeds sprout. And now today he's still alive and jumping with us. And we're still friends and we're partying more than ever. And we are more friends than ever. So it was definitely worth it.
0: Yeah, sometimes it's about leaving the lesson behind for somebody to learn later, right? Yes. (laughs) You tell them the reality check and they don't get it. And then you're like, all right, well, we're making moves. So you know, when this comes around, you know that like we loved you and we tried our best at the time. So maybe like catch up with us. Exactly. Exactly.
1: We talked about this on a previous episode as well. And like, uh, you know, we have all the training, uh, we have all the gear, we have all the hiking, but one of the hardest aspects of this sport is just communicating with each other. And, uh, sounds like you guys did a pretty good job of, uh, just, uh, taking the risk and being honest with each other, which is uh, super admirable.
0: Yeah, I think it really helps to stay as a crew so tight-knit like that. Uh, I think the one thing that uh, advantaged my career was being with people that uh, I knew quite well. And so when I did something wrong, they'd usually start their statement with, hey, Matt, I love you, and then go into, don't fucking do that again, right? (laughs) that uh, That was not in control. I think you got lucky. And the I love you statement really was about like, dude, I know you. It's not like, uh, you know, I I wish that you're around more and like, I love you. Like, I have such great affection. That was true too. But like in that moment, they were expressing like, bro, I know who you are. And and you seem like you've lost a little self-awareness. So let me give it back to you. Here's your skill set. Here's your mindset. (laughs) And now make better decisions.
1: (laughs) Praise, correct, praise, also known as the shit sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to ask you a little bit about um, some of your professional training as well and how you think it played into this because, uh, you know, you went to civil aviation school, you've uh, worked as an air traffic controller, you're a private pilot. How much of you think this actually has played into your... um, piloting skills um in the free flight domain
2: yeah i i guess that uh, all these uh, experience helped a lot actually i did not realize it uh, at the time uh but today i realized that again when my progression my my initial progression was filled with luck and unconsciousness. But again, what, what choice do we had? Uh, as I said, there was no no education and, and nothing. So I guess, yeah, luckily I was a plane pilot and uh, an ATC, air traffic controller at the time. And I guess this aeronautical experience was deep deeply uh, integrated in my mind. And I, maybe I did not consciously use it, but years later when i spoke with uh, some skilled base jumpers that were doing uh, like hard proximity flying i i was like what's your what's your method to evaluate your your glide and how do you how do you i'm interested in 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 getting more tools for myself so what are your tools to fly terrains like how do you know you're going to get over that ridge or over that hill what do you use? And the guy was like, that. "My intuition." Wow! I looked at him with like so big <laughs> eyes, like, "Man, you cannot do that!" <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and and then I realized that actually that's that's what a lot of wingsuit pilots. Are doing, and were doing at the time, and probably are doing, are still doing today. And then I, I, I I realized that my, I, I, I used to pilot in the mountains, and my, my instructor taught me how to, uh, how to cross uh, a ridge, how to evaluate uh, if I, w- if I can cross that ridge, how, what is my margin, and and these are concrete tools like you can align points and this is not a subjective tool this is something you can measure and you can train even when you're walking in the street or driving this is a tool that you can you can uh, uh, get more and more accurate and you can train your eyes and your brain to use it and um and i taught it to my wife and i i taught it to all my my students and uh and then yes i realized that for sure aeronautical experience is important because we are trained as skydivers meaning we just fall from the sky in the middle of nowhere and then in just a few weeks slash month we became we become pilots in the mountains and there is an, actually there's a big difference between falling in the middle of the sky and piloting in the mountains so uh, so
0: yeah. So, can you give yeah, us cool. uh, an overview of some of these concrete tools? I think it'd be very helpful if you could maybe take us through uh, your specific assessment of uh, a particular jump and how you got from, you know, knowing nothing about it to uh, flying in the terrain.
2: Yeah. So, for example, um, the main tool I use is aligning, aligning points. That means you can choose from three to more points, but three is a good start. And basically what you choose is um, you ch- the first point is your eyes, so it's you. The second point is the ridge you want to fly over, and the third point is anything in the background. And a very useful tool is how if you look at these three points, they make a line. And the further you're flying, The further this line is going to evolve and either there are three options, either you see more and more background, it means you still have your eyes, the ridge, but you can see more forest or more mountains in the background, meaning lower in the valley behind, you can see more and more. This is good, you're going to get over that ridge. (laughs) if you if the if the line is stable it means your eyes the ridge and the background is is still it means you're going to fly very close to that ridge so either you have speed margin or energy margin or glide margin or you might uh, you might uh, lose your knees on this on this ridge and uh, and the third the third option is the mountain behind is disappearing or mountain or it it can be a cloud it can be anything but something that is uh, that that you you choose as a reference point this reference point is disappearing behind the ridge so that means you're not gonna get over it and it's it's it sounds so easy but in reality uh, no one uses it when I when I looked the first time at, at Jeb's uh, video of Table Mountain when he hit the mountain. Um, if you look at this video, uh, it's it, you can see that for about ten seconds before impact, the this this perspective this line is not moving at all. It's it's obvious that either he has speed margin or energy margin or glide margin or he's going to impact. It's, if you look at his uh, POV video, it's, uh, with this method, it's obvious. And in, in mountain piloting with planes, we use it all the time, all the time. It's, it's the classic method to know if you're going to fly over a ridge, a mountain, a hill, a forest, anything that has a reference point in the background. So yes, you need a background, of course, but that works so well, and uh, and that I I mean, when I look at many um, wingsuiters um, incident or accident um, on the video, it's it's obvious that it's it's not gonna they're not gonna make it, and uh, and yeah, it works almost all the time, and it's not at the last moment. You have this perspective, you can use it. Uh, I mean, from five to ten seconds before you're gonna get over that ridge, that mountain, or that rocks, and uh, and and yes, and if you focus on this, this is this is a really concrete tool
1: that you can work on. That's really great advice. I know that that depth perception uh, for me took uh, you know transitioning from skydiver to base jumper that took a while, and uh, there was some points along the way where I started jumping higher and higher mountains where I was like, well, okay, this is changing a little bit. And then when I started speed riding and paragliding and I was developing that more and more, um, I really had a more respect for the fact that that depth perception is a trained skill that, that, that takes time. Um, I think that you answered the question that I wanted to ask and what Matt I think was getting at was maybe you could break down the process of what it's like, say centenar you know you guys are about to jump there for the first time step by step which it's like to like okay you're at the exit point you've got your laser you've looked at the map um, your process in evaluating a new cliff before you jump there so you know we just some actionable advice that we can give to people to give them an idea of what it's like the process is like In this whole experience.
0: Because like, uh, first of all, the checkpoints and and reference points, that's something that was like brought up to me in like late 2013, early 14. And so uh, we knew of that concept, but it took us a while to find people that would actually give us the knowledge about how to create those points and not just create those points for somebody, but specifically for us. Because, like, I believe that anyone that's wingsuit terrain flying needs to do a completely unique, pers- uh, you know, assessment of it. You know, it's not just like, oh, well, Vincent flew it in a in a V four. That means I can go fly it in a V four. You know, so uh, how was your assessment of these objects from like ground zero to actually flying it, and, and how did you come up with the specific, um, concrete like reference points and checkpoints?
2: Yeah, so. Um, I I feel that there are two uh, kind of two different questions, so I'm gonna jump from one to another. And um, so, from uh, your question, Matt is, um, uh, we trained further from the terrain first. Uh back in 2011 and back to and 2012. Um, some of our friends thought that we were doing proximity flying every jumps for training, and. I was like, no, no buddy, I'm doing I'm doing proximity, one jump out of three, four, sometimes more. And what I'm doing is I'm flying in the mountains. yeah, I'm not flying maybe in the stratosphere in the strat- stratosphere, but but still uh, I'm I'm training myself to look at this reference point, these checkpoints, this benchmark in my flight and I'm and then yes, I'm getting lower and lower, but again in a progressive way and um and we jumped a lot of uh, at Dandekrol, for example which is uh, famous for its huge plateau to clear it's a very high and long jump where you have time to make these assessments that you were talking about and uh, and i guess yeah again it's a matter of of training and and repetition you know in the militaries they they did a lot of studies on humans to understand what was the best way to teach a human a simple task, like creating a line of three points and and learning to evaluate how it is evolving, like just the, the method we were talking about. And basically that was military, so it was more about how to assemble and disassemble a weapon, for example, but this is a simple task as well, and um, repetition of simple tasks. and. They, surprisingly, the number of repetition needed for a normal human to to learn a simple task is much more than expected. If I had to guess, I would have said, I don't know, 5 to 10. And the militaries uh, in the US, they discovered that it's 25, 25 times needed to learn and know very well a simple task. So yeah, of course, maybe at five or six times you're gonna be able to repeat it a little bit by luck, a little bit because you're current. But then, if something is distracting you from this task, if you have an emotion, if something is different, you're gonna fail. And in BASE jumping, we cannot fail. And emotions are very high, and light can be different, and winds and and everything, because even the colors of trees are changing with the season. So everything is changing. So basically, we back in this is in these high numbers like the start arcs we were uh, we were measuring with our GPS before opening low starts we did the same with proximity we did a lot of repetition on the same jumps and progressively lowering uh, our altitude and our height in order to then yes fly very very hard proximity and uh, but again on the videos, you only see the result, the end result. But uh we and it's normal again. I, I blame and I judge I judge no one. When I was a children and I was going to circus and seeing guys doing handstands, I was like, Yeah, that's cool, but yeah, I mean they're just walking on their hands. I mean, I mean it's okay. And today I'm learning to do handstands and I can see how hard it is and how years of training it is to just stay on one hand. It's years and years of training, and and yeah, we we do not realize this when we just see the final result. And I think in BASE jumping, it's so easy to focus on the final result that we easily forget all the work and and the training uh, and the training behind. And I mean, and you two guys, you know perfectly about this because you that's I guess that's uh, the path you followed as well: hard training, disciplined. So, um,
0: so before we get to a ground up assessment, I love that answer, by the way, um, what do you make of, you know, the common way I think right now of doing things. And actually, uh, it might, it, I'll say common, but, uh, I don't know that that's actually true. I just have heard a lot of stories of people doing this where they'll look at a track that they've done off of a certain cliff and then they'll just cut copy that track to another uh, cliff and say like oh well I can definitely do that and then they go directly to terrain flying that cliff with the only uh, information being that they've done a similar track. What do you think of that? So I think it's
2: it really depends again on your on your currency on your preparation and um, yes it's I would say that it's possible. If you give yourself the the again the discipline and the preparation uh, when we when we did some some lines some jumps that we knew we could do only once or twice in our lives I took an extra care for preparation extra time and a long time I, I spent days at home uh, in my pajamas <laughs> working on my computer and 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 studying plan A, Plan B, Plan C, and zooming on Googlers and buying maps. Dude, I have I have so many paper maps at home. All the mountains of the Alps. I have the I have the, the paper maps and I draw lines with a pen uh, on the map and I can measure better with the lines, the level lines and everything. This is this was and, and then I, I wrote it down on, on the paper and then I have this paper with me when i hike up there so i can even at the exit point i can remember that part is i don't know 2.1 glide ratio and this other part is 1.8 and then uh, and then i know it by heart and with this preparation yeah we happen to do long proximity on unknown terrain which was not really unknown but there is always i mean the main part is known and then there is little 5% of improvisation that makes the flight magic and that we are all looking at looking for so uh, i would say i would say it's it's a matter of um of again training and preparation but yes yes it, it's doable we've done it and i would i would be uh, that would be unfair to to say it's not doable. So yes, you can it, it can be done if it's done uh, if it's done safely.
0: Okay, then back on to uh, Laurent's uh, extension of the earlier question. Uh, take us through a total assessment. Yes. So uh, for um, what
2: we learned from our experience is uh, that the the preparation at the exit point is very important. Again, when you are up there you've hiked you are at the exit point you're not gonna repack you're not gonna jump more so you have your number of jumps that's it you have your experience you cannot change it but what you can change is your mindset before jumping and we we discovered that these half an hour you can some maybe 15 minutes if you're in a rush and you have to evacuate because of bad weather but these minimum 15 minutes up to half an hour of preparation visualization is essential and so yes so this um this um this assessment they will start with a physical warm up if you have taken a lift up to Braivon for example if you've hiked for a few hours then you don't need it then you go through your gear um gear check because that again that we make your mind at ease and at peace with your equipment so everything is checked. Uh, You eat, you drink, you make yourself uh, comfortable and then we are back to procedures because again what is gonna save you is procedures. How we came to this? By looking at astronauts. We thought what what is the most extreme things that humans are doing and that where decisions are needed to be taken in in a highly emotional environment without any communication and without any help from the outside and the best answer we could find is astronauts they are in in such a hostile environment with perceptions that are shifted by gravity and they cannot communicate with earth sometimes and what do they do thousands of Visualization and procedures, and they know it so much by heart. Procedures, procedures, procedures. That's what I learned from air traffic controller as well. We 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 had to know all our all the procedures by heart. And so before jumping, when once my once my equipment is checked, once I've eaten and drink,ed once my once everything is ready, bef- just before I put my my gear on and just before I gear up. I take time to repeat these procedures from an outside point of view, from an inside point of view, from a muscular point of view. These are the three main ones, but it's up to it to everyone to find more if they wish. And then I repeat it and I, I repeat how do I push but not only the positive, how do I react if if something goes wrong, like what if I'm hit by a bird? What if, what if the line of reference point is not going well? Like what if I'm losing altitude and I have no range? Then I try to imagine the feeling of air, what it feels to be overspeed, what it feels to be under speed, what it feels to, and then I I, I bring I, I I refresh these memories. And uh, and I mean it's 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 essential. And then I repeat all the jump like this, like twist. How do I untwist? Because if you don't repeat it at the exit point, there is a very good chance, and very there are the statistics are against your against you. You're probably gonna untwist before steering your canopy. That happened to me. That happened to me when I was an experienced and a young wingsuit so base jumper. I untwisted before steering my canopy, and I ended up so luckily safe in the most hostile valley and landing around Grenoble. It was full of power line, river, cars, road, everything. And I I ended up safe, but I, I was so lucky because I rushed my exit. I took only five minutes instead of this time to repeat the procedures. And then I got line twist, which is not bad in itself, but uh, instead of steering my canopy, I started untwisting with the emotion, and it could have ended very badly. So from that very moment, I always visualize, I close my eyes, and I repeat how I untwist, how I unzip my wingsuit, uh, and everything like this. It's up to everyone to to find their own procedures, but uh, I really do believe that it's it's essential. That's that's why pilots in airlines, once they are lined up with their aircraft, even if they have done thousands of takeoff, once the aircraft is lined up, they have to loudly speak the takeoff procedures and what they do if they have an engine failure on the runway after takeoff, and everything, and they repeat it out loud to each other, and um, and I do believe. This is essential. So yes, that's that's our that's our routine, and um, and and we we are very disciplined on on making it real for every jump because you never know when shit is gonna happen. So um, I'd rather take five more minutes and maybe do one jump less if I am in Lauterbrunnen or in a place where I can go I can do back to back. I'd rather do one less, but I do each of them, right?
1: Yeah, I can contest to that, or I can, uh, I can vouch for that. I I've, uh, remember being at the exit point with you on, on quite a few times where you've taken a very long time. But what I'm hearing here is that you're making sure that your body is air-ready, air-worthy, your gear is flight-ready, and a very extensive visualization process where you're going through all the possibilities. And uh, yes,
2: I I I believe that the visualization is um is under is underused. It is uh, it's such a powerful tool. Um, we I mean we've all experienced these these moments where by visualizing something something that we want something sometimes positive or but something we really want and 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 yes we can prepare our mind to make it happen and uh, so yes when i when i repeat my procedures i don't want to underline too much the bad stuff because i don't want it to happen so i i am not i am not expressing the will that it that it's going to happen but if it happens, I'm ready, and I can remember uh, um, an opening with uh, with uh, with Van Vesh, and um, and again, we could not see the landing. Uh, it was we knew it's gonna be a long glide flight, a technical uh, with a turn in the middle. So we are we have no visual on the landing, and Vesh is jumping, and his countdown is three, two, one. I can open anytime and he jump and he jumps and and it saved him because ju- the fact that he repeats, the last thing he repeats is i can open my parachute at any moment he's ready to do it and when and after the turn actually he found himself too low to reach the landing and he instantly opened and he did an easy 35 seconds under canopy choose the best uh, holes in the forest he land safely carry uh, and, and stash his canopy and he joined me at the landing uh, five minutes later he did not hesitate and I think again it's this visualization and this, uh, this say it out loud of I can open at any moment of the flight is something that I'm sure could have saved so many jumpers that could have just just pull pull and then you maybe you're going to crash somewhere in the mountain and you're going to spend a f- few hours hiking down or even if you have a broken leg it's going to take maybe a day to pick you up there with a helicopter but who cares you're gonna i mean we we will we, we laugh about it years later but pull i mean it's we we and and if you if you don't if you don't persuade convince yourself and if you don't do this assessment of yeah, I should pull. At any moment, if something is wrong, then you're not gonna do it. It's the same with line twist. It's the same with a, a lot. Of, I mean, all the procedures. If you don't bring them up to your memory, if you don't refresh it, there is a good chance that you're gonna do the wrong procedures or in the wrong order or the anyway, not the best. And you're not gonna put all the all the odds on your side.
0: Man, what an interesting concept, uh, to say something of value, uh, before you leave the object, like you can pull any time, you know, I think the most common thing for people to say is see ya, which like, I mean, ironically, if you go in and the last thing you said was <laughs> see ya, you've kind of manifested that <laughs> destiny, no?
1: <laughs> Bye-bye, now.
0: Yeah. Uh, like you're, you've framed up your mind to just wave goodbye to everything, um, I want to ask you a question about these contingencies that you're visualizing. You've told us how that you how you've assessed an object from ground up, you know, working your way from flying over the terrain quite high into the terrain to find the appropriate checkpoints, and then uh, getting the appropriate reference points in order for those to have some visual logic to them. Um, You've described how you use lasers uh, in order to measure the the arcs and the glide ratios, how you've uh, taken previous flights and overlaid them uh, many times to make sure that your start arcs are proper. So I think you've given us a, a really good grasp on how to assess an object from the ground up. But now I'm curious, how do you assess for the contingencies? Like you're visualizing what ifs. And how do you come up with uh, the answers to those what-ifs?
2: So, yes. So, uh, at the time, um, we were, for example, we were jumping, if I'm talking about line twist, for example, we were jumping canopies way less reliable than the ones we are jumping today so we were having line twist way more often so we discovered it by ourselves by training and by undoing our line twist much more than we want than much more than we wanted and much more that than we are doing it today actually today i'm not i'm not physically training to uh, to undo my line twist because i have i never have line twist our equipment is so reliable so there were for, for the line twist, that was um, physical training, but for um, for different uh, procedures and and, and different uh, aspect, we thought about it. Uh, I mean, we again, it's um, I think the commitment um, needed for this for this activity is is essential. We're not again, um, we're not playing uh, bow- bowling. It's a uh, w- we cannot go base jumping like we are like we just going to have a beer with friends and 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 uh, we need we need to think about it we need to sleep over it i mean at least at the beginning because that's where you are learning everything and um and yes you need again we were talking about the team at the very beginning and you need to spend time with with Teammates with uh, with friends with jumpers and speak about it and and find procedures that make sense for you. So maybe it's not the best at the, at first, but today again we have education. There are very very good educational um, podcasts like like Exit Point, like uh, I mean like a Top Gear base. Like Squirrel is giving a lot of good advices as well on our website for for many aspects and. And and much more. I mean, I'm just talking off of the top of my head. But today you can find um, education, and uh, and then of course uh, on the on the web there are many many ideas. It comes from all sides, and sometimes it gets a, it gets a little bit emotional, like you know, on social we know we all know about that. But if you if you just take time and get a, a peaceful uh, and relaxed eye on this conversation. There, there is most of the time very interesting, a very interesting aspect to think about to study, and uh, and if you are a little bit curious, yes, it's um you can dig it, dig it up and uh, and and find more information and make your own your own point of view, but based on on solid on a solid uh, on solid basis and uh, that's that's one of my progression today you know i'm i i've jumped many years not knowing how my equipment was working what it was made of and yeah i mean on one hand it's not completely necessary i mean if you know how to use it you're not you're not bound to know how how it works you're not Honestly, I can drive my car and I don't I can't change the engine and and, and, and rebuild it. But, um, but if if you know most of the aspects, then it will help you use it better. And today I'm learning um, I, I'm trying to understand my equipment. So I'm learning the materials, the fabrics, um, the, the sewing machines, what are the weak points, what are the strong points and and why it's built like this. I have to admit that for years, uh, when you're a beginner, it's kind of mystic. I mean, no one knows the the, the opening sequence when I, when we started. GoPro didn't exist, and no one had ever shoot a base base jumping base jumping uh, canopy opening sequence with a camera. No one. So I was told you should back that way. So I did it very conscien- very very uh, with a lot of discipline, very conscien- conscientiously. I did I I did exactly what was taught to me, but I had no idea how it worked. <laughs> it was just working, and I I kind of prayed every time like, yeah, okay, let's hope it will work again. Today it's very different. Today I I, I we we, sh- we shoot with camera and slow motion hundreds of um, opening at the time it was GoPro 2 the very first GoPro with slow motion and we shoot we shoot hundreds of openings and then we started to understand what was happening and what was good bad why we should put uh, a slider gate and and, and blah 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 and, and many things that came to understanding and um and yes that that comes in the whole process of of uh, again being in a in the good mood at exit point and, and 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 everything and i think the progression actually never stops because the more you know about your equipment the more you understand things the more you avoid uh, close call so uh, i remember i remember my lack of understanding of of understanding of turns for example in a wingsuit. um it was with you, Lo, uh, at Varang. Uh, we were jumping south Varang in 2013. And at the time, I mean, no one was really doing uh, turns, no one was engaging one turn right after another. And we were sta- starting to do this, and I did it in south Varang. But the problem is we are drifting when we turn. And if you engage a right turn immediately after a left turn, your body is still drifting, and when you when you when you turn and when you start uh, uh, sweeping your, your your wingsuit, then the airflow is not on a good side of the wingsuit, and it got I, I got like big banging and big flapping on the suit, and I thought I was that that was my maybe my biggest close call, and I and, and I landed next to you low, and I remember staying geared up for like ten minutes, like whoa just got out of this and that was because i i didn't understand the, the the aerodynamic of of the wingsuit yet i was still i still i was a pilot at the time but a soft wingsuit is acting different and uh, my point is the more you understand everything about your activity and the safer you are and the more margin you want to take because you understand that some parts can fail and that some parts you can avoid some you cannot so yeah, it's a, it's a long process.
0: Okay, so if I'm understanding you correctly, you know, I asked how you came up with the contingencies. And uh, you're saying that rather than know more about the particular line that you're flying, which is still necessary, the first part is to know more about how your equipment can perform and how you perform in your equipment. And in that way, once you've come up with the ideal checkpoints and reference points, it's a lot easier to see what is possible if something goes wrong because you have so much knowledge about what is possible for you to accomplish. Is that uh, reframing your words co- appropriately?
2: Yes, it is correct. It is correct. And knowing, because the more you understand, the more you know your limits and then the more you can, you can do your contingencies and the more you can, you can explore your potential. So yes,
1: it's a very good sum up. Okay. I wanted to jump off of what you said about packing because this is something that's really rung true to me. Uh, I was at Lowen, uh, we were doing a, a wingsuit based camp there and uh, had a bunch, of, I think I had 30 jumps in a row, you know, like in, in uh, for two days. And uh, I was doing lots of different deployments, like fast, slow, huge flare top of the flare, on on the approach to the top of the flare, the apex of the flare on the other side. And um, they all had pretty significant impact on uh, the way the primary stow uh, interacted or how my lines were interacting with the primary stow, meaning did I have line tension and the correct deployment sequence. And uh, I, you know, this question could be for both of you, but have you noticed that with change in gear, maybe the rig, the way that there's, uh, you know, more or less friction, uh, more high performance wingsuit, are you keeping an eye on the primary still? Are you keeping an eye on um, on your deployment sequence? And does that seem to be changing you? Are you changing your packing techniques with new gear?
2: I I do not personally, but I think everything is possible for sure. I keep uh, I keep a um, kind of constant packing, maybe a little bit more uh, opening the center cell if I want a uh, a little faster opening. But um, what I from from what I look on the on the video on on belly cam, which is very interesting to look at the at the opening sequence, is for sure the slider gate. Is a major factor. The slider gate allows the canopy to deploy much, much cleaner, and um, and the primary stow. Yes, I I think we we are most of the time afraid of doing too much uh, too much stow on the rubber band. Too much too much uh, you know too much uh, too too tight. wraps. Yeah, too too many wraps on on a. On a on a rubber band, I I mean I for me I didn't see any difference between two or three wraps, except that if it's not tightened enough then you have a you have a, a line dump too soon, and that can be catastrophic. Um, from what I observed as well uh, before letting Matt uh, express himself, is that um, on the on the video there is definitely A kind of quantic uh, factor in the lines. I mean this is something you can uh, you can pack the lines as best as you can. You can have everything smooth and, and what I observed what I looked is I could witness that most of the times, there is still like a rebel line doing its own <laughs> business and 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 doing waves everywhere. and you're like, damn, I, I, that that stove was really, really clean and 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 my opening as well, and still this happens. And um that I think these lines, um, quantic behaviors, is the main reason for uh, me to um, open higher. Uh, The more I I witness this quantic's behavior, the, the higher I opened and today I'm very happy to open most of the time at 200 meters above the landing with my wingsuit because we have no excuses to open lower with the <laughs> with the the jet fighters we are flying so uh, so yeah I, I open higher and higher because there are some factors we cannot avoid I mean at least I cannot avoid them so if some if anyone has uh, a solution to this I am I am super open to to try. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> I have not found yeah. it yet.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. tension knots, and uh, yeah, this is uh, this is still the, the wild card for us for sure. Hey, but yeah. um, so go ahead. For Matt.
0: me, if you yeah, if you want, real quick, um, there are a couple of technological advancements in the the squirrel line that I I use, I incorporate, like the slider gate. Uh, For the most part, my pack job hasn't changed at all. I still do use a double stow, and I think uh, if you talk to Will Mitchell, he's been doing a lot of research into like stow, no stow, double stow, single stow, and uh, it's pointing at the moment towards the double stow being the the best method there. If anything, uh, the major changes that I've made over the years as wingsuits have progressed is to have a bigger pilot chute and uh, less slider so that I can get like the same uh, snatch force that I need for a consistent opening whilst flying a lot slower in probably dirtier air. So like now I'm jumping a 38 inch pilot chute and uh, I'm jumping an X slider.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. I jump a 42 slider when I jump my Aura or my C-Race because uh, if, if I pull a little bit further, later in the flare, now I'm jumping a thirty a 42. And I know Vesh is jumping a 42 as well. So yeah, I completely agree. It's a bigger pilot shoot for sure.
1: Great. Great answers from both of you. Um, we could go on like this uh, all day and all night. I love this conversation. <laughs> but um, there's some other questions that we want to get to, particularly into some of the projects that you're doing right now. Um, tandem wingsuiting man tell us about it what's going on (laughs) Um, I mean because this is the number one question that when people who have no idea what's going on in the sport will ask can I do a tandem wingsuit jump and until now (laughs) everyone said no it just doesn't do it Um, but now you're running a tandem operation where you're offering wingsuit skydiving tandems Yes tell us. yeah I'm, <laughs>
2: I'm glad you i'm glad you brought that up thanks um uh yeah it's it's um i'm trying to make it it short but um um i'm going to be honest when i when i started classic tandem a few years ago after almost 14 years of skydiving and bass, i did not expect to feel that kind of of a blast um I mean, I should have known. Uh, uh, it was not the first time that uh, that human connection uh, bring an experience to a complete new level. But when that human is directly connected to you, uh, I mean, it, it he or her offers you your, he or her trust and eventually explode to joy, happiness, love. Right, uh, right again. your right right against your chest and belly. I mean, you can't help but vibrate fully with this human, and uh, and and this human that you did not that you did not even know one hour ago. So, so yeah, this this would be completely awkward and, and embarrassing in the street or in a dinner, but up there in the sky, it feels hundred percent natural and and easy. So I instantly loved the the tandem adventure. And, um, and of course, so you can guess that it did not took long before I considered linking Tandem with my dream of flying wingsuit. Uh, it did not sound crazy because I had already carried many skydivers below my wingsuit uh, during rope swing jumps and, and other stunts with the bungie and everything. So I had carried a lot of of, wing, uh, of skydivers in below the wingsuit and found it was still maneuverable, controllable and um, so we worked a lot with the team and today uh, we had uh, we have a manufacturer agreement, uh, the wingsuit uh, manufacturer uh, support, we have uh, found an insurance which was which was the hardest part and we have even the support of, of the french federation and everything and and yes it's for the passenger it's it's a complete blast because we are we are flying we're not we're not pulling the drogue so we're flying full speed um we are uh, the the harness the passenger harness is quite tight because we he we don't want um uh, we don't want extra and uh movement we want really the passenger to be linked to my wingsuit, because of course the passenger is not wearing a wingsuit. It's uh, that would be unrealistic. But the feeling is the same. I mean, we we prepare the passenger. We take a lot of time uh, to prepare uh, to prepare him or her uh, to this experience, like at least one or two hours. And uh, and the result is that we have uh, excellent body positions from the from the passenger we have excellent uh reaction to uh, to everything that is happening i mean they're they flying in 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 flock with another wingsuit because the, f- the 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 video man is back flying just below the tandem <laughs> so you can imagine for the passenger the feeling of of flying and and having another wingsuiter just on the back uh, it's yeah it's it's amazing and um
1: Watching the videos and seeing the pictures, you can see it right on the expressions of the passengers' face that they're loving it for sure. Yeah, you have a little have- bit more like safety procedures than a normal tandem skydive, right? I mean, you're all of these jumps are being done out of a helicopter, right? Yes, you we, need that we, still air environment, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, we encourage a lot uh, the helicopter experience because it's. I mean, you know, you know what we're talking about. Either it is a skydive or a base jump. It's the environment in inside into in which you are offering this experience has a, a strong impact on the experience itself. So, I mean, the hike before a base jump is can change your jump from from fantastic to to just. I mean standard. And it's the same with a helicopter. So we are encouraging encouraging a lot the helicopter for the three D climbing experience. I mean the three sixty panoramic view in the heli, the, the start from zero speed and everything and the, the opportunity to fly over over the Mont Blanc. I mean we are we are offering right now right now the possibility to fly from six thousand meters almost above the Mont Blanc not exactly above the summit because it's technically not possible with the in tandem wingsuit but i mean we we jump as close as we can from the the summit and we are definitely over the massive of Mont Blanc at 6,000 meters so yeah this is only doable from helicopter and uh and uh and for the passenger it's amazing because we are not only not only we fly like wingsuit with a with very Clean performances in terms of speed and glide, but we can do as well. The as we are maneuverable, we can do turns. We can do many things. We can do standard barrel, even if we don't do them much because it's a uh, it's a little too aggressive for the passenger. But uh, <laughs> when we were jumping between each other because we did a lot of test jump, uh, we did a lot of test jump with a. Uh, w- with my, uh, with my my teammates and Marine and, and everything. We did a lot of them. That's very funny to do a, a real barrel with a passenger. And um, But what we do now is we do mainly big sweeping turns and barrel rolls. Because when we do barrel rolls, um, we're still barely flying. Nothing changes in the position. It's very soft. It's, very, uh, it's a very natural and intuitive move. And um, so we can we can offer this kind of aerials to a passenger and uh, and it's super clean and the camera the, the video guy uh, or video woman is is following us in that move and yeah it's uh, it's fantastic so we have extra procedures of course we have extra procedures um, not only with the equipment because we have to deal with the wingsuit and uh, the connections and everything uh, but as well um, with the as I as I said with the base jumping, it's exactly the same in tandem. We have a lot of visualiza- visualization. Actually, I, I we prepare every wingsuit tandem exactly like we would prepare a base jump. When you ask me of my my routine uh, and my my ground up before a jump uh, on a cliff, we do the same. Uh, in in tandem wingsuit, like I warm up and I warm up with the passenger. So every passenger is doing some plank and some abs and some and some muscle uh, movement and muscle memory before a jump, uh, because it's essential for for the passenger to be prepared to be waken up, to to visualize what's gonna happen, and uh, and then inside the team as well because we're flying fast uh, in terms of numbers. We're flying between. 200 and 260 kilometers per hour Um, so that's fast and so for the cameraman uh, in wingsuit it's it's a good it's a hard work so we need to to be prepared to know exactly our trajectory to know everything we open a little bit higher than a normal tandem because there is no need to to get in that zone where you don't want to be uh, if there if, if you have to do a cutaway or uh, I mean uh, or reserve uh, reserve. So we open a little bit higher and we enjoy a, a long canopy ride in beautiful environments and uh, and yes we reach very amazing performances like usually between we glide over three kilometers and uh, sometimes four kilometers with the passenger. So yeah, that's that's uh, that's very very interesting procedures and for um, and the feeling is amazingly close to what we could feel uh, in a solo. So that was our main objective. We really wanted the passenger to not just claim that he had done a, a wingsuit tandem, but uh, the experience and leave the wingsuit. Airflow, the, the the wingsuit feeling, and that uh, yes, that's what we we achieved to do. So it's super cool. All
0: right, let me uh, package some of this up for the American audience. So uh, first, the speeds that he's talking about are equivalent to 130 to 160 miles an hour, and uh, his glide is about two and a half miles. So uh, that's that's quite a fair glide ratio. Uh, two and a half miles for you know two miles up. Uh, what kind of wingsuit are you guys using? Did you design a custom suit for this? We are using a Freak 4 without uh, backfly
2: inlets. So we have all the freak, uh, f- the freak 4 maneuverability, easiness of flying, reliability of uh, stability and everything, easiness of pulling as well uh, without the loss of pressure. Uh, by the back inlets because we're not doing backflying uh, so we didn't need them so yes we are flying a freak four without uh, back flying inlets and with shifted air cups on the leg wing because otherwise the passenger is uh, blocking the air from uh, entering the the air cups the inlets so we have shifted them apart and lower on the leg wing. Then we have as well a an instant arm release system which allows us to instantly free our arms from the wingsuit no matter what happened and no matter the timing of the der- of the jump that allows us to basically be back in a classic f- classic tandem uh, configuration if we bend the knees and get the arms out of the of the wingsuit, if we cut away the arms, then we just we just free-falling. So it's, that was very safe and that that's what allowed us to get uh, basically insurances uh, uh, because we could get back anytime time to a classic tandem configuration and this system had to be very efficient, uh, very reliable and yet very solid because you don't want your your arm wing to uh, to to lose to get loose and to open in the sky. So that was a, a long work with the riggers and very interesting. We got uh, we we we've been through I would say 5 or 6 different systems and we ended up with a very simple one the more we were going through that process the more we were simplifying it like we do basically with our base equipment and huh? the the You're talking about the arm best. release? Yes. The, the, the arm release okay. system is very very clean and simple which make it reliable and efficient. So uh yes and we are we are th- we are still working on it and thinking of uh, adapting it maybe to um for base jumping because if you can have your arm instantly out of the wingsuit without a complex system of yellow cable and everything that that would be certain that that would certainly be a, a a safety a safety feature that could be a that could be cool for for all base jumpers and in yeah wingsuits. i remember
0: uh, that idea kind of died with jonathan flores he was really pioneering that um wingsuit arm cutaway system flying the race suits and then after he went in no one really kind of picked up the you know the 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 playbook on that it's nice to see that you guys are doing that um i've got to ask uh like it i would be remiss in not asking you uh has anyone been unstable doing <laughs> one of these tandem wingsuits and if so how did you guys get out of it
2: so yeah the the that was that was a very funny and in the same time, in the meantime, scary part. So it was very funny and scary at the same time. We are, when we, when we did the test, we are two uh, wingsuit tandem pilots. So uh, Ambroise Serrano and myself. And uh, we played passenger, uh, so we we switched we switched position from pilot to passenger, and <laughs> and we as passenger we played like the very very bad and crazy passengers, like the craziest we could imagine, and not only doing just random crazy shit but uh, doing efficient aerodynamic positions and giving the pilot the hardest time ever I mean it was <laughs> it was funny in the plane because as a passenger I mean we know it's I mean in the worst case scenario we we just back into a normal tandem and, and that's it so so it, there was no I mean as we were between tandem instructors it, there was no particular danger but for the pilot he knows it he was about to uh, <laughs> he was about to get through something very very hard physically and and demanding m- mentally and everything so in the plane it was very funny to see our faces like the passenger was always smiling and the wingsuit tandem pilot was like super sweating and concentrated before these test jumps so to answer your questions we've played so many times everything we could imagine the worst case scenario that when it kind of happened with with, with real passengers um actually we were ready so the 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 funniest uh, thing the funniest story we had was with the f- actually we we had only surprises with uh, friends now when we are when we are in commercial tandems when it's real passengers we have until now we have a hundred percent of success in the position in the in the in the flight and in the maneuverability but we when we were between the test flights and the commercial we brought uh, many friends to try it so they were not non skydivers And one of them, (laughs) he imagined, uh, I mean, we told him that it felt a little bit like being hung by a dragon, uh, like being the passenger. And this guy thought in the sky that he would play like the dead prey of a dragon. So he instantly, like, he passed out. Like, <laughs> that, that, <laughs> he did not actually pass out, but it felt like exactly like this. And on the pictures of the cameraman, he's he's completely unconscious below me. So that shifted so much the balance of the flight that, yeah, we, we, we dived hard, but then I mean, we know the procedures. We have everything everything written on a, on a, again on a, on the user man, on the user manual. So we get out of it clean, and when we landed, the camera guy said. Wow, bro, you passenger, he passed out. And I'm like, I'm not sure. And he's like, Yeah, yeah, sure. He showed me the video and I was like, Oh, yeah, he passed out. And the passenger was like, Wow, the dragon move was so cool. (laughs) Oh, man. So I'm like, Oh, man. So what was reassuring with that is, yeah, we, of course, we, we, we have not um, imagined everything that is possible. Like this, for for example, we we never expected that kind of, of reaction from a passenger. But what uh, what was re- very reassuring is that um, yeah we could handle it. And even if we have we will have more surprises for sure. But uh, I we um we are we have been again very disciplined on uh, our procedures. And even if if we are still at the at the beginning of this activity and we want to stay very, very humble uh, and knowing that we have still a lot to discover, we are pretty confident that we can safely deal with uh, everything that can happen in a in a tandem. We have we have written down every procedures, all of them on a specific user manual and uh, again, that was. Uh, one of the requests for the insurance to have a, a cleanly and 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 a, and uh, to express to to how how can I express to write down all procedures. So
1: yeah, we it took us time, but now it's clean. So there's going to be some people that listen to this or have seen your videos and are going to want to do this. I mean, you know, there's going to be some tandem instructors out there that think they can do it or you know want to follow what you guys are doing. And I can't help but think that, uh, you know, their actions and their results are going to have a direct impact on everybody else that is interested in doing this. Uh, do you have a message for, for any of those people who are inspired out there to follow in your footsteps, maybe some pitfalls or, I mean, you've gone pretty deep into it with your preparation, but is there any other specifics maybe that you want to speak directly to those people?
2: Yes, yes. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for giving me the, this opportunity. It's um, we want to share because we are. I mean, we love our what we're doing, and uh, we want again. We want people to to experience and to enjoy the wingsuit flying. So, yes, our, of course, we want to share it, um, but we want to to do it in a good way and progressively, because from what we've learned from base jumping. Is that uh, mm, humans have a natural tendency to imagine that if because someone has done it before, they can do it as well, and that's exactly what you said, Matt, when you talk about oh, Vincent is doing it in V four, I can do it in V four, and and yes, that happened in in base jumping in Brevant, for example. That's why, for I mean, we we explained how how it was dangerous how we prepared for it we even put um we put we even put a sign at the exit point and yet what happened many fatalities and then it's forbidden to jump in Chamonix for now 8 years or something so we don't want that to happen with the wingsuit tandem so yes we want to share it but we want to share it to we want to share our experience we want to gather more data we want to we want to share uh, all the procedures we have been through and we want to do it through um, a conscious process and a safe process so yeah we are uh, we the all the people we are working with um either it is manufacturers or insurances or everything they want us to be just us for the next 2 years so there is no questioning uh teaching it to somebody else before this this deadline anyway and after this yes they will be open to um to more people and we want to advise and help uh, people to to get access to it without going through all the all what we've got through because it, even if it was fun, it's still a very long and expensive process. So um, so yes, we want to create shortcuts, but uh, we want to we want to make it wisely. And again, we want to learn from from the lessons of base jumping and and uh, and, uh, and, and and human going. Going too fast, so we we want to avoid that. We think it's possible in skydiving because it's much more uh, controlled and regulated than base jumping. So uh, we want to we want to um, uh, inform and advise maybe the, the 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 people in charge, the managers of. Of federations, of drop zones, of of uh, I mean, people in charge. That yes, it will come a little bit later, and um, and I th- we think that this way we could prevent um, people a little bit a, a little bit too more uh, too enthusiastic to just uh, just uh, <laughs> come to a drop zone and 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 try this uh, without all the the safety uh, feature that we've created
1: well congratulations man uh the step of uh, receiving uh permission through the federation is no small feat getting your insurance permission as well massive step i know i've kind of seen you guys in the background and and how much work has gone into it and uh you guys are really following your dreams here and uh, it looks like the work is paying off so big congratulations thanks to you and uh, Maureen, your lovely wife (laughs) <laughs> thanks thanks a lot so we've run out of time for today and we've got through about uh 25 percent of the questions that we've prepared <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're gonna have so to have you on means... again <laughs> so that means you're gonna have to come on again um <laughs> it was a pleasure but uh it's been uh, super informative and um a good time and thank you for spending this time with us and sharing a lot of your experience with everybody Thanks for welcoming me. It was uh,
2: really an, an honor to speak with you guys. We are uh, we friends, and more than that. And uh, we are I admire you, or I admire both of you, really. And uh, thanks, uh, thanks a lot for uh, for welcoming me.
0: Awesome. And and before we go. Um You know, you've come on here to share your experience and knowledge, but you also do that professionally. So, uh, can you uh, drop a line on where people might be able to find you if they want some more specific and directed instruction on how to accomplish uh, their dreams in the sport?
2: Yeah, it's always a pleasure to share and to advise. I mean, that's that's the purpose of what you do here on on an exit point. So, yeah, that uh, we always we are always open to uh, to advice and discussion and everything so they they can contact me on uh, through our website skyvibration.com and uh, it will uh, we will uh, we will do our best to guide them through this uh, wonderful uh, uh, adventure of which is wingsuit sweet
1: thanks very much you are welcome thank you thanks man see ya see ya All right. Well, that was a great episode. Lots of uh, fantastic experience from Vincent, and uh, that visualization piece I think is the big takeaway for me. Uh, his preparation before the jump was uh, it's very thorough. All the different steps before um, his jump, and uh, what did you think? I loved it. You know, I like, uh,
0: speaking with people that were on the cutting edge and still continue to progress the sport and looking into their mindset and their preparation and their assessment. You know, if, if anything else, it really like inspires me to do better, (laughs) not be lazy.
1: Absolutely, man. The whole, the whole part of this, uh, benefit of this podcast project is, is getting to look into the mind of some of these people and, and, and take the tidbits of, uh, of advice to, to, to be a better person. And yeah, it's actually reminds me too, you know, I mean, it's been a while I'm into the sport, but like I'm learning new stuff all the time. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great thing.
0: Yeah. And personally, like I've been on the exit point having not done that stuff and it feels like shit like total survival <laughs> jump, you know, and, and I've been on the exit point having done all the stuff that, uh, LeBlanc has done and it, it feels spectacular, you know, just total freedom. So right. Smooth. Yeah.
1: Smooth and free.
0: And it's rad to hear it like all of this crazy shit that he's like getting into tandem wing suiting, man. That used to be just some like <laughs> drunken story that somebody would say like at the end of a, a drop zone day, I wonder if we could do this. And <laughs> he's got the the you know the confidence the the craziness to actually pull it off it's it's fucking rad are they the first people to ever do it i don't know anyone else i know people have hung from chest straps but like those are experienced skydivers i don't know right. anyone else that's taken like a non-experienced
1: uh just civilian on uh on a
0: wingsuit. yeah
1: gym. Yeah, if somebody listening to this knows any better, please let us know. Because as far as I understand, this is the very first ta- professional tandem operation where a wingsuiter is. Yeah, this like yeah. I mean, this is like, yeah, this I mean it's totally possible it that
0: like somebody in like the you know like the '80s or '90s, like you know, in some like flappy birdman suit, like hooked up somebody to right. a tandem like without a drug. But honestly, I wouldn't even consider that wingsuiting
1: no so they just wore a drag device or something right
0: anyway great conversation
1: I'm glad we had it great conversation great episode thanks Matt thanks everybody listening and thanks again to our uh, co-producer
0: and sound engineer Mark Stockwell and see you guys next time see ya